friends, and welcome to episode four of The Membership, a podcast about and inspired by the works and life of Wendell Berry, a Kentucky farmer, poet, novelist, essayist, and activist. I am one of your hosts, John Pattison. Normally, I'm joined by my two co-hosts, Jason Hardy and Tim Wassum, but this is a special episode of the podcast. Today, we're presenting an interview I conducted last fall with Mary Berry, Wendell Berry's daughter, and the founder and executive director of the Berry Center in Henry County, Kentucky, and with Dr. Leah Bands, the director of the Berry Farming Program. The mission of the Berry Center is to put Wendell Berry's writings to work by advocating for farmers, land-conserving communities, and healthy regional economies. The Berry Center is located in the Oldham House on Main Street in Newcastle, Kentucky. The Oldham House was built in 1820 and once served as the law offices of John Berry Sr., Wendell's father, and Mary's grandfather. The Berry Center's fantastic agrarian culture center and bookstore is on the same block and is housed in a log cabin originally built in 1790. My conversation with Mary and Leah was recorded in the Oldham House's beautiful library, named after Tanya Berry, Wendell's wife and Mary's mother. Our microphones picked up some of the ambient noise from the large room, as well as the occasional car going by outside on Main Street. But it's not too distracting, and I'm certain you will enjoy the conversation as much as I did. And so, here is my interview at the Berry Center with Mary Berry and Dr. Leah Bands. It's my great honor to be joined by Mary Berry, the founder and executive director of the Berry Center, and by Dr. Leah Bands, the director and dean of the Berry Farming Program. Thanks both for being willing to, to do this. I know you're both busy. Thanks for taking the time. So I thought we'd talk uh, kind of generally about the Berry Center and then dig in deeper into the farming program in particular. Mary, the mission of uh, the Berry Center talks about putting Wendell Berry's writings to work by advocating for farmers, land-conserving communities, and regional economies. And certainly, I would imagine that your father, Wendell Berry, will be the most familiar to our listeners. But the Berry Center also builds on the work of your uncle, uh, John Berry Jr., as well as your grandfather, John Berry Sr. And so I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about the two of them. I'm happy to talk about the two of them. They devoted their lives to this place, to a land-conserving community um, and a, an economy that would support good farming. My father says often of his father that he did the important work and he and his brother just took it up. Mm -hmm. And now um, we've taken that work up at the Berry Center. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that work was and is to put a stabilizing economy under good farming. Mm -hmm. And he, my grandfather did that um, around tobacco farming, which was the mainstay, the backbone of the good agriculture that existed here um, for a long time. He was the principal author of the Burley Tobacco Program that lasted from 1941 until 2004. Mm. It was the only program that I know of that um, worked to, on behalf of the people it was supposed to serve for the entire length of the program. Mm -hmm. It turned out to support a crop that was not defensible, mm -hmm. but the program itself is absolutely defensible. And so this really the start of the Berry Center um, was to take 
that program and learn from it and apply its principles to other kinds of farming. Mm -hmm. And we've done that and that program is called Home Place Meat and it is, or Our Home Place Meat, mm -hmm. and is um, working toward a co-op, working with farmers in our area. Mm -hmm. I'd like to talk a little about what replaced the tobacco program. That was my next question was okay. 63 years right. and it went out in 2004. What happened since then? In the late 80s, early 90s, when um, at that point I was farming full-time and did, did farm full-time until I started the Berry Center, we started with our community trying to ready tobacco-dependent farmers um, for the loss of tobacco because we knew it was coming. There was a, some excitement and interest around local production for local markets. Um, I look back on those days with a good deal of sorrow, really, because mm -hmm. when we, my family and I, organized meetings to talk about what was going to come after tobacco, and those rooms were full of farmers. Um, those farmers have mostly died or left or uh, at least sold their farms. They didn't have heirs that wanted to farm. And I think the important thing that I would like people to think about is the fact that many people, I think, still believe that we lost tobacco as a crop because of the health issue. I don't think that's entirely true. I think we mm -hmm. lost the crop to the global marketplace mm. and, and free market pressure and so on. But what has replaced uh, the very good, highly diversified tobacco uh, farming around here, that meant that uh, when I started farming, we had five acres of tobacco. We also had a dairy. Mm -hmm. We also had uh, forage crops. We had uh, subsistence um, agriculture and so on and so forth and we were not alone mm -hmm. the land that's how the landscape looked it looked diversified yeah what has replaced tobacco is the corn and soybean production that doesn't belong I don't think it belongs anywhere but it certainly doesn't belong on our fragile rolling mm -hmm. landscape so I think it's important to make this uh, to make this point because I'm asking that people think more holistically, if you will, yeah. about farming mm -hmm. um, and about what, how, you can't just replace, you can't ask a farm culture to move fast enough to replace something that's been grown for hundreds of years yeah. with something else that doesn't mm -hmm. have a definite market, mm -hmm. it doesn't have uh, any kind of uh, price stability, no one knows how much to produce. And so what we now have are, is the highly erosive, highly toxic production of corn and soybeans, mm -hmm. and farmers are going broke doing that. Yeah. So we didn't replace tobacco with health. I mean, in the long run, our friend Wes Jackson says the tobacco program was probably better for health than mm -hmm. corn and soybeans. Yeah. Now, I'm not, I am not advocating for tobacco. I'm not interested mm -hmm. in it. Um, but I am interested in people who know how to farm and how they're going to be able to afford to farm. So maybe you'd like to know a little about the tobacco program. Yeah, yeah, I would like that. Uh, yeah. The program was... Uh, and, and can I add, 
Would you mind going all the way back to the story that your dad told about, about your grandfather? Because I think that that's an origin story of sorts that I think is really helpful. Yes. I think the tobacco program, as it existed for how many years? Many yeah. years. Yeah, 60. Uh, 60-something. Mm-hmm. Um, it finally, it existed finally out of the work out of the work my grandfather did because of a story that happened in this county about five miles from here in uh, 1908. My grandfather and his family were sitting around a table uh, talking about what they might do with the proceeds for their tobacco crop that year. They were not out of debt, so some of it was already spoken for, but they thought there might be some extra and they were enjoying, as families do, talking about what might be done with the extra. Mm-hmm. Uh, my grandfather remembers, remembered his, uh, the sound of the horse's hooves um, leaving on the driveway in late at night uh, with his father leaving um, to watch the sale of the crop. My great-grandfather came back the next day with nothing after he had paid the warehouse fees. So an entire year's work um, came down to nothing. And my grandfather would say to us then, well, when he would tell the story later, he said, I thought then if I could do something about this, I will. And he also would tell us that he remembered um, farmers leaving warehouses with tears running down their faces and um, so what my grandfather did because he was exceptional I think he would never have said so but I will say so um, he was offered uh, the uh, the job of, the, of a secretary to a man who was running for the House of Representatives um, the candidate heard my grandfather speak at a rally in Port Royal and um, said to him later, I think I'm gonna win my race, I want you to come with me. And my grandfather said, I will if I can go to law school. Mm. So he went to uh, DC, he went to George Washington, got his law degree, and he, was, he wrote all of the legislation. He did all of the work, uh, you know, the, the the member of the house had one person working for him, and it was my grandfather. <laughs> and we have been able to find out, with the help of a historian, what my grandfather was hearing on the floor of Congress. Um, parity pricing, um, um, talk about parity pricing, talk about um, protection for farmers from overproduction. And he applied what he learned. I mean, it was a, it was a kind of, I mean, if you are a Christian as I am, it was a kind of remarkable um, coming together of of grace, maybe. Um, So when my grandfather um, finished law school, he came home and he passed the bar, first in his class, Mm. and um, I believe then went back to Washington and uh, his the person he was working for said, "There, you know, there, there are all kinds of jobs for you." Um, and he said, "I want to go home." Mm. And the same uh, journey your dad, uh, the same decision your dad. Mm. <laughs> That's right. Mm. And uh, and the same decision my I made and my brother made. Mm-hmm. Although I don't think either one of us are geniuses. <laughs> <laughs> See, 
anyway. You seem pretty exceptional to me. <laughs> um, so he, my grandfather would say, I, I was looking out my office window and thinking, do I want to look at tar paper roofs or do I want to look at grass? And he made the decision that he wanted to come home. So he came home and he applied. With also, while also practicing law, he applied what he had learned to, um, to what had already been done to, to try to protect tobacco farmers. Um, there had already been an attempt by a man named Judge Bingham. It, had, it was a good try, but it had failed, and that program was dormant when my mm -hmm. grandfather came home. I'm not sure dormant is the right word, but it was not. Um, so Big John took up what had been done and he applied what he had learned and with the help of others he put together the Burley Tobacco Program which protected farmers from overproduction, protected the land from overproduction, mm -hmm. kept our population stable, mm -hmm. kept the knowledge, the cultural knowledge that um, seamlessly passing from one generation to another. Mm -hmm. This is a culture Yes. Mm -hmm. and this is what we're after again. Mm -hmm. Um, so we have applied. Uh, that program was a federal program. Um, we don't have friends in high places. We have no friends in high places. We have nobody who we could even talk to about these things on either side of the aisle. Um, so we're, we're using it as um, a guide to help us think. So we figured out what parity pricing is for cattle farmers. Mm -hmm. um, we're trying to do for them what needs to be done so that they can do what they do. Mm -hmm. um, the problem with the entrepreneurial agriculture that is all that's available to mm -hmm. farmers if they want to be, if they want to produce for local markets, is that they have to do everything. You know, they have to market it, they have to, well, excuse me, first they have to produce it, then they have to market it. Um, they have to figure out pricing and a farmer said to me a couple of years ago, I didn't know I was going to have to come up with recipes too. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, it's, it's, we've, we've got an agriculture that, it's either, that is either small and entrepreneurial or large and industrial. And we have, after 40 years of a local food movement, put nothing in the middle. Mm -hmm. So we're trying to put something in the middle for what's left of our farm population in Henry County. Mm -hmm. We're working with young farmers, really pretty young. I'd say most of them are under 40, which mm -hmm. is very young. We're working with some generational farmers. We're working for some people with some people who are new to farming. And so far, so good. Yeah. And I think it won't surprise readers of your, of your, of your father's work or folks who are, are familiar with even the work of the Bray Center to see, to understand why the focus is on Henry County. Have you seen programs that are similar to this in any other areas in the country where they're trying to find that, uh, not the middle way, but like a better third way that somehow between and above and beyond uh, those those two options that you were talking about, the entrepreneurial and the, the large industrial. Have you seen other programs similar to the, the Our Home Place Meat program around the country? I'm going to answer uh the best way I can and to be kind. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of good people working on good things around the country. There is no question about that. And there are getting to be some, a few programs around that I think are, are beginning to get some age on them. Mm -hmm. So, 
I mean, a 10-year-old program in, in this, you know, a food hub, for instance, that has 10 years of experience is ancient, <laughs> given what I've seen. I tell you what I don't hear. What I don't hear is conversation, um, talk about the lives of farmers. I don't hear talk about parity pricing. I don't hear talk about the problem of overproduction. Um, not in the world of local production for local markets. I don't hear enough of what I consider to be honest talk about what the local food movement has meant to farm culture. It's meant virtually nothing. Mm. Um, what the local food movement, I believe, has done is increase the amount of people who want to have quote unquote clean food and want to think that they're supporting a farmer. I believe that those are all genuine and good impulses. But, the, but these impulses have not deepened into understanding what that means. And it has allowed the industrial organic industry to just go right around places like Henry County, Kentucky. So the farmers that are left in Henry County who are either interested or in some way, um, in a few instances, are still producing for local markets, are competing now against everybody. Mm -hmm. They're competing against each other. They're competing against cheap organic food in our largest grocery store chain, which is called uh, Kroger. Mm -hmm. They are competing against organic food in Walmart. I don't darken the door of Walmart, so I haven't actually seen it, but I've heard tell that it's there. Um, and then, they're, of course, they're competing against Whole Food, which you can now uh, get on, on Amazon. Amazon. Mm -hmm. um, so my husband and I speak often of this local food system that we heard so much about and thought while we were trying to get past dependence on tobacco, and we were both early producers uh, of organic food and food for local markets, we thought we were heading for a food system that we just kept hearing about. We're no closer now than we were when I started farming in 1982, or maybe it was 81, not long on days. Mm -hmm. So, if the local food movement is gonna mean anything, it's going to have to get, it's gonna to have to get past food to some point mm. in, in some ways. It's going to have to deepen into conversation about land use yeah. and the people who understand how to use the land, which leads us to everything we're doing here. Um, my father tells a story of two horse breeders talking. It was probably 20 years ago. It may have been more than that now. And one horse breeder says to the other, and they're breeders of draft horses, draft animals, and one says to the other, will we ever get the horses back? And the second uh, horse breeder says to the other, we can get the horses back. How are we gonna get the people back? Hmm. So, because would, of the loss of knowledge from generation to generation? And the, pe the people are gone. 16% hmm. uh, of us, or I oh, heard 15% mm -hmm. mm -hmm. 
uh, at the Land Institute, so we're down a percentage. So I have to change everything I'm saying. Fifteen <laughs> um, percent of us living in rural places, of that percentage, less than three quarters of a percent farming. Mm -hmm. Of that percentage, how many are farming sustainably? Yeah. So if the, if the people interested, and I believe that there is good interest in good food, who do they think are going to raise it? Mm -hmm. Who's going to do this work? Yeah. And how are they going to know how? Mm -hmm. So that's our work with the Wendell Berry Farming Program yeah. of Sterling College. And it's important to say that we're a program of Sterling College. It is. It will be, the program will be in Henry County. Mm -hmm. um, it will only be in Henry County, but we're using Sterling's accreditation. Mm -hmm. And to use that accreditation, we must be a program of Sterling. Okay. The Sterling that is not in Kansas, it is in Vermont. Mm -hmm. yeah. We have two other programs here that I think would interest your listeners. Mm -hmm. uh, the archives yep. are just taking my grandfather's and my uncle's and my father's intelligence and learning from it ourselves, but also making it available to um, um, scholars who want to study things like co-ops mm -hmm. and how you might go about this work. And also for, from the literary side of things, where my father's work comes from. I mean, if, if, to understand my grandfather and my uncle John, who was also a lawyer and who took up my grandfather's work, to understand all three men is to understand my father's work. The other program that I think uh, is always worth talking about it is uh, the Agrarian Literary League that's coming out of the bookstore that you visited. Um, this is an attempt, it's the second year of an attempt to get people together in this community to talk about something other than politics because we're so polarized. And so it's worked. <laughs> My daughter Virginia, who you met, started it last year. She, started, she picked one of my father's novels called Memory of Old Jack to start it. I'm, I, you know, when I started the Berry Center, I knew we wanted to do something like this. I just didn't, hadn't put a shape around it. But when she picked my father's book, I thought, oh, honey, you know, it's, it's just, it's, you're, you're, this could hurt if people don't respond. But I kept my mouth shut, and she raised enough money locally to buy everybody who wanted to be a part of the program a free book. We gave away 300 copies. 20 new book groups were formed. They're still going. They're now involved in the second year. The book group leaders just met with Daddy in the boardroom at the Berry Center Saturday morning to talk this time about a book called A Lesson Before Dying, to talk about race and agrarianism here. Um, I was not able to attend, but it went on for three or four hours. Wow. It never got to politics. Mm -hmm. It was all about what's happened here. Mm -hmm. We're doing uh, the first um, tour of Henry County led by uh, an African-American who grew up here. I don't see any other way for us to come together and to work on the cultural problems that are the root of all our problems. Mm -hmm anyway but to get people together to just talk mm -hmm. and this year she's given 400 books away and out of the 20 book groups that formed there are now 
offshoots of those. Uh, my parents live in Port Royal, Kentucky. There's the Port Royal book group <laughs> and the Wendell Berry uh, uh, book group in a town of 70 people. <laughs> so I'm a lot talking in circles and talking too much, but this all goes round and round. Good agriculture has to be supported by a culture that values it. Mm -hmm. And so we've got to build all of that back because we have virtually destroyed it. Yeah. And um, so you you asked why Henry County? Mm -hmm. Well, Henry County is where we're from. Mm -hmm. I feel not able to address with with much confidence global issues. I'm happy to have opinions, and I do about <laughs> absolutely everything, but. I have, without sounding um, prideful, I have an idea of what needs to be done here. I've lived here all my life, and so we, we have gone to work on what we have agreed to be the necessary work that needs to be done here. Hmm. If we fail, and we may, I don't plan to, but we may, and, and I'll certainly be dead before we, you know, any of the things that I hope for happen. But if the Berry Center doesn't stay funded, if I can't keep it open, I'll continue to live here and I'll continue to work here. Hmm. So, and I feel, I, I feel confident when I say, yes, we need to work with the, with the good cattle producers that are in this county because I've been on their farms and I've seen their cattle. Um, I can't make a blanket statement like that about the entire country. Mm -hmm. But I can about Henry County. And so then I can say, okay, we're going to figure out the problems that present themselves. We're going to make this work. And then and we'll share what we have learned. Mm -hmm. And we need a program like this in every rural place. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's... Did you have any questions? <laughs> That's, I mean, that's great. I talking with your daughter over there for even just a few minutes before this interview. I I thought to myself, I have to either come back next October when I'm doing this co other conference again, and interview her or do something on the phone because it was incredible. Yeah. Just in a few minutes of talking with her about mm -hmm. about the um, Agrarian Literary League is that right? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. was it, it was it was mind blowing, and I couldn't wait to think about this from my own rural place like something what would that look like in silverton oregon where i'm from which i think is how some of this spreads because you're focused here because this is where you are it's what you know and i know you know my particular part of marion county oregon and now the people are lucky yeah, a very good author who lives here who uh, I'm <laughs> <laughs> so that is a help yes yeah yes <laughs> So, um, Dr. Baines, uh, uh, Mary mentioned the, uh, the, the, the Berry Farming Program, and you're the director and the dean. Can you describe that program just in general terms, then we'll get into some more specifics? Sure. So, the Wendell Berry Farming Program is, uh, we've just launched the next iteration of the program, uh, the end of August being September here in Henry County, mm -hmm. and uh, it is a program that is, as Mary mentioned, using the accreditation of Sterling College to uh, provide a junior and senior year of, of, uh, of undergraduate study 
using Henry County as our classroom because this is the place that we know, this is the place that we feel like um, is worthy of study. And so we are working on a curriculum that, uh, that does some of these things that we hear as kind of buzzwords in higher education. You know, it's interdisciplinary, it's experiential. Um, ours is those things in ways that we think are very practical and pragmatic and, and they mean something outside of the context of just the classroom experience. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, and we are also doing something that's, a, I think, pretty unique in that we're putting a liberal arts curriculum at the middle of an agriculture curriculum. We believe that the splitting apart of disciplines um, has been really uh, one of the root causes of the devastation to education. And so we're trying to bring the arts and the sciences together and to put, put those in a context. And that context is this place, it's the community, it's the people, it's the land. And we are uh, working on a, a curriculum that I think has the capacity to really help us to put some people out into this community to, to settle in this place and in the places around here uh, with some folks who know how to know how to take care of land and they also have a commitment to the community of that place. And so are the students who are in the program right now, are they um, predominantly uh, uh, young people who grew up or still live in Henry County? Or they're not coming from Vermont, right? They're actually from here? So the, uh, the launch for the program was our, a two-week intensive course. Um, we're, we're, we're starting small to mm -hmm. uh, figure out how to sure. do this well. And for our first uh, cohort of students, those were entirely students who were from Sterling College oh, okay. yeah. in mm -hmm. Vermont mm -hmm. who came down for the two-week session. I see. Some of them um, wanted to stay. In May, I expect that we'll see some of them again in January, uh, the, the second of our two-week short courses, uh, which will be a course in restoration forestry and draft mm -hmm. course logging. Our intention, our goal, is to uh, open up the enrollment to students who are from, um, certainly from Sterling College, who are already enrolled in that school, but also students who are from here in Kentucky. Our, our real um, commitment is to serving Kentucky and Kentucky students. And uh, we are particularly interested in um, students who have grown up in on farms, um, who've grown up in small towns and rural communities. Uh, but of course, we're, because we only have, what, 15% of the population now uh, living in rural places, um, you know, that <laughs> that's slim pickings. Mm -hmm. We're interested in students who uh, are ready to, and who have discerned that their, um, their calling in life is to be good land stewards and to do that through, um, to, through good farming. We're trying to do what the culture has failed to do because the economy has <laughs> um, wrecked uh, farm culture. That's We're right. trying to get these kids not just the uh, education that a citizen of this country ought to have, 
but we're also putting them together with people who have the cultural knowledge, mm -hmm. right. who can make a living on uh, using and reusing and fixing and mm -hmm. so on. So, you know, if, if, if we had the culture that my father grew up with, there'd be no reason for this. Mm -hmm. But now there's a desperate reason yeah. for this. It, I, as far as I'm concerned, the work that Leah is doing is the most important work in education today, yeah. and I'm not exaggerating like I usually do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. I've, and and Sterling. Mm -hmm. Right. I've heard uh, in or read uh, uh, both in interviews that you've given and, the, and, and an article in which you were uh, interviewed, I've heard you describe this as education for homecoming mm -hmm. or like students majoring in homecoming and can you I, I love that 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 way of describing it can you what does that mean so we uh, snagged that phrase from Wes Jackson mm -hmm. um, who talked about the fact that in higher education not just in higher education he's specifically giving a, a, a commencement address of college and so mm -hmm. he's talking about higher education but in education generally the only major that we ultimately have is a and really what that is doing is it's, it's instilling in, uh, in all of us this idea that, that mobility, upward and otherwise, is, is an acceptable goal and that in fact that if that's not your goal then there must be something wrong with you. Um, and, and so the alternative is, is a, a major in homecoming, is one that um, would make it possible for people to know how to live well in a place, uh, would instill the virtue of being a placed person, which means in as much as it is possible for you to be able to stay in a place. And we recognize there are lots of reasons why people can't stay in places. Yeah. We have an economy that has displaced uh, generations of people um, and continues to do that. Um, we, you know, we recognize that there are lots of uh, um, challenges to being able to stay in a place, um, but that wherever it is that a person is, they can figure out a way to dig in. They can figure out a way to make that place their home. And in fact, uh, you know, if we believe that there is something that generations have to pass down to one another, whether those are actual like blood, kin, familial relationships, or, or the kinds of uh, family that gets chosen, um, then being, being able to uh, come home and making it possible for people to come home uh, is, is important. And so um, this kind of major in homecoming is based on this idea that, uh, that there's something worthy in, um, in being able to know and understand a place and to, and to live well for it and to live well from it. Yeah. There's a, a pastor in, in my town, and he's been a pastor there. He recently, he retired in January, but he's been a pastor there for a few decades. And he read uh, Slow Church, and uh, he's a good friend of mine. He said, John, we're talking about theological education. He said, John, like all of these schools, they're schools for going. Mm -hmm. Like we need schools for staying. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it's speaking in uh, about theological education like but very similar to what you're describing well and you know the thing is is that when conflict comes up as it inevitably does when you have committed to a place then you if it's somebody we were speaking earlier about this idea of you know uh, what's going to happen
happen when you have a conflict with somebody that you're going to see at the grocery store yeah. or you're going to you're going to see at some other community event your paths are in entwined with one another then that changes the the it changes the stakes and it means that even if you have a conflict well you're you're probably going to have to figure out a way to get get over that i mean you're going to have to figure out a way to uh, work together if you depend on one another, and um, and I, you know, and I've experienced that recently when you know there's there's been a conflict, and I felt like, okay, I'm really upset about this, but I'm 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 in this with with these people, I'm in this with this person, and so um, I'm I'm gonna have to figure out how to work work through this, and um, you know, and that's Mary's talked about that in terms of the. Part of what this, you know, this kind of saving remnant of a tobacco culture is that even when people came from very different um, political, uh, religious, uh, person, personal standpoints, they well, worked together. I think we're in an interesting. We have an, an interesting opportunity in Kentucky. Um, we're letting it go, which of course we always do, but. The tobacco engine, uh, program ended in 2004, so what's happened across the country and really around the world happened a little later here. Um, and at the end of the tobacco program, I, began, I knew things would be difficult, but things happened that I didn't foresee happening. Hmm. Uh, the church I'd gone to for 25 years fell completely apart. Hmm. Differences in um, political and, uh, political thinking and social issues became absolutely important. Yeah, they'd been there all along. We had a pastor who all along uh, he had been there by then fifteen years, I think. His feelings about uh, politics and some social issues were well known. I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't political from the pulpit, but he certainly was in Bible studies and so on. He, he knew what he thought. When people began, when we lost the tobacco program and we lost the culture that we, the culture that had us all doing the same things at the same time, worried about the same things, when that ended, then, uh, I'll use him as an example because it happened in other ways too. The, the differences some people felt with him resulted finally in him being literally run out. Mm -hmm. yep. um, and that's what's happened to the country. Mm -hmm. um, we lost our shared culture and our shared language mm -hmm. so quickly that I still am kind of, my head is still kind of reeling from it. But I want to say um, also that the operating principle of the Berry Center has been from the start to look, to find where the culture that we had is still working and to and um, figure out how to strengthen what's here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which I think has been a real weakness of the local food movement is it's been it's had, it has tried to apply a culture of organics or biodynamics or permaculture or whatever. Um, so the, this is the reason we began with 
after a lot of working and a lot of trying to figure out where to start, we began with cattle because um, a t the average tobacco herd in Kentucky is 27 cows. Mm. It's a small farm. Small. Mm -hmm. So, and I can talk more about that, but I won't right now unless you want me to. But what I do want to say is one of the things that is, is still working sort of in Henry County is the fact that there are churches everywhere and there are people going to them. So we have entered into not a partnership, but a sort of relationship, a relationship with the church that I grew up in in Port Royal. They have two really wonderful pastors, a man and a woman uh, who are married, John and Amber in Score Essex. Um, John teaches at the Baptist Seminary of Kentucky. Yeah. Um, my mother helped start this when the uh, Louisville Seminary, Southern Seminary, went kind of crazy. Um, we stopped being able to get ministers out here who kind of understood what we were trying to keep going. And so she, in response with other people, started this an, all kind of an alternative Baptist seminary. So we are now, the, this is part of the farming program in a way, is to work with young people who want to take up ministry, to take up a life of ministry. And we are trying to, to educate some to come to a place like Henry County and make a home, just as we're asking, that uh, young people who want to farm mm -hmm. do the same thing. So what if, you know, and now I go to imagining, we're not allowed in my family to be optimistic, but we are, <laughs> uh, may, we, are uh, we are hopeful. We are by, uh, it's our duty, as our father says, to be hopeful. And I am hopeful, actually, but, um, but not in the middle of the night lately, but in, in the daytime, I'm hopeful. Um, what if more of the uh, churches in this county, um, what if they were hearing from the pulpit uh, something based on not just agrarian Christianity, mm -hmm. and, um, and if the churches were working, not mm -hmm. just as consumers and whatever they do, yeah. um, working to um, strengthen what's left out here. What, what would that mean? Yeah. Well, and, and I feel like the churches have been just as susceptible as other parts of the culture mm -hmm. that you're talking about to the effects of industrialization, McDonaldization. Uh, it's something we've talked about in our books, McDonaldized religion. Um, and but, but we, I believe, as as a Christian that, and I think maybe this is something your dad even talks about somewhere, we can't segment life. And we are shown that when we look even at the root of the word holiness. You, the, the, the root for the word holiness is the same root as the word for wholeness and the, and the word for health. And so if we want to have a healthy culture, if in religious terms we want to even have a holy culture, then we have to have a healthy whole culture that takes a holistic look at not just, um, well, at every aspect of life, including 
good land use and um, you know fair compensation for farmers and 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 all of the the, the amazing things that, that you're doing here it seems to me that this is that the way we thought about our work here is different and I, I really I really hesitate to, to sound too proud of this but mm. I'm going to say this I, I was struck for instance I'm often struck by this but I was struck for instance this is the latest um, happening that made me think about this the Nobel Peace Prize is, and I, this has nothing to do with whether I think that the people who deserve, who got the Peace Prize deserve it or don't. I, I'm sure they do. But we have a culture now of treating symptoms of problems um, and rewarding that work. I hope that what we're doing here in our small way um, by design and by, by how much ability the founder of the place has, that would be me. But um, I mean, we're trying to work on the whole problem. Mm -hmm. For instance, we are, whether we can do it or not, I don't know, but we're trying. We're, first of all, we want the education to be free. We believe we can do that. Sterling is a work college, first of all, and we think we can make it, it tuition free here. Um, we know we can for we think about the next 10 years and we'll see after that. We also would like to raise enough endowment that first of all it can be free forever mm. and, well as long as forever as long as <laughs> that is but we also would like to be able to use that endowment to back low interest loans to our graduates who satisfy um, internships, whole farm plant, whatever, those those people who know about education decide they need to, <laughs> to uh, complete. But then, so we're trying to think all the way through. Yeah. Um, we don't want to turn loose young people who have learned something that the world desperately needs here and then say, well, good luck. Right. Yeah. Maybe you can find some land you can afford. Or maybe, maybe you can pay for, for it. And maybe mm -hmm. you could work for some rich person who would like to give you 30 acres, mm -hmm. but they won't, so you'll be, it's going to be back to sharecropping. Or, um, so we're trying to think everything here is related to everything else. Mm -hmm. And I think um, because the work here is now, it's, you know, I began as the founder, but it has, the work Leah has done is way beyond what I could do. My Virginia, what Virginia has done with the reading program, we need more work like this. Mm -hmm. And I feel like what you're describing is a difference between a farmer selling uh, selling at a farmer's market so, and me buying at a farmer's market, as important as that is, it's the difference between that and the local food system. I feel like the culture that you're building here is for Henry County maybe the seed of a local what you mean by local food system because it's it's not piecemeal it's very holistic I'm sure I mean I think a CSA is a local food system I mm. think um, entrepreneurial efforts certainly by some definition could be called a local food system but it is not doing for farmers what First of all, it's it's saying all farmers need to be entrepreneurial, which they're not, and shouldn't have to be. 
And um, as I said earlier, it's not protecting farmers in any way, really. I mean, it's just, uh, farmers markets, I'm for them. I think they should exist. I think entrepreneurial farmers will be entrepreneurial farmers and they should do that. But they are the most contentious places as a survivor of farm markets. <laughs> a friend of ours called them a pit of vipers. Um, wow. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, good people, but they're but when you put good people um, in situations that are they're head to head, they're co competing for the same market. It's not going to result in a culture that we saw under the tobacco program, a culture of neighborly work, yeah, a neighborly work, and really, in a way, outside of the money economy. Culture of, of cooperation. Culture of cooperation. Uh, as a, oh, I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to edit you. Um, but I'm just in, in my mind. I'm I'm contrasting the culture of competition and the culture of cooperation. Exactly. That's exactly right. Uh, one of the things that we've talked about in in our episode zero podcast uh, was our Wendellberry origin story. We know yours, um, <laughs> um, Mary. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm curious, uh, when did you start reading the work of, of Wendell Berry and, and, uh, and what did that mean to you? Uh, let's see, so my, I grew up in Louisville and my mom uh, was a single parent in the 80s at University of Louisville studying English. I was raised to be an English major, as I sometimes say. <laughs> and she had a copy of The Unsettling of America, which she had dog-eared and marked up pretty thoroughly on our shelves and I ran across it when I was in high school and I think that was the first time I read any of Wendell's work and what on earth that meant to me at that time. Mm -hmm. I can't say that I uh, remember except to say that I understood there was something important there. Um, I pretty much immediately as soon as I graduated from high school got out of the city as quickly as I could and I moved uh, with my partner of, I don't even talk about numbers, I'm horrible with numbers, over 25 years, mm -hmm. uh, moved to Marion County. Oh, name. really? Okay. <laughs> His name is Bruce. His name mm -hmm. is Bruce. <laughs> he does. He does. Uh, and uh, he'd grown up uh, most of his life in Marion County, and so we, I moved to a rural community and decided that that's where I was supposed to be, is in small town rural places. And um, so I found myself over and over again coming in my reading and my writing and my research to being very interested in agriculture and in rural life and uh, Wendell's work featured in that uh, from pretty early on in my undergraduate study and so um, as far as uh, to speed forward through a dissertation, a master's thesis and a dissertation on Wendell's work and hmm. not just on his work, I think he would uh, probably cringe to hear me say that, but on the topics that have been the most important to him. Uh, and that is essentially agrarian studies. Um, I had finished up my dissertation and I had done a kind of a a comparative history of uh, uh, writing about the concept of sustainability mm. and, and, and thinking in our culture from a, a kind of long 19th century, 
perspective through um, some of our contemporary writers like Wendell Berry and Les Jackson and Ruth Ozeki and the kind of smattering of people. Um, and I was walking into the graduate school and I was carrying my box of my dissertation, which I uh, was going to deposit in the graduate school so that they could bind it and put it on a shelf in the library for so many people to read, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, and I ran into a mutual friend of ours named um, Morris Grubbs, who has been a, a from the, the entire time I was at the University of Kentucky, he and I have been friends. We have mutual interest in Wendell's work, and I subbed for his classes when he had to be out because we were interested in the same things. And, so anyway, he was working in the graduate school and working on professionalization for folks and said, oh, well, what kind of what kind of school do you want to be at? And I said, oh, well, if I had my way, I'd be at a you know, small liberal arts college that's experiential and that's interdisciplinary and I'd be able to, uh, I'd be able to work on agrarian studies. Mm. He said, step into my office. <laughs> and he and Mary had been talking about a program that she had uh, envisioned that was exactly that and so um, I started a conversation with Mary and um, turned out that uh, the idea of putting a, a liberal arts education at the center of a farming program was what she had in mind and when she said you know who do I who do I get to to, to direct this who, who could lead this up I said oh you do a national search you you, know, you, you find somebody who there's so many people who'd be just pleased to do this. And she said, well, why don't you do it? And savvy as I am, I said, you don't want me. <laughs> <laughs> Way to sell yourself. <laughs> uh, I'm not a farmer. And and that was kind of um, the, the moment of me saying, actually, I need more of a filter. Uh, <laughs> and she said, I'll step aside and let you think about this for a second. And when she came back, I said, oh, actually, yes, this is my life dream. I mm. would love to do this work. And, and to be able to figure out how to really emphasize the culture of agriculture and to bring together in a holistic way um, uh, the the ways that her father's work has um, has and should be applied to education. I think those were uh, those were really that means just been an incredible. Um, well, it's a, you know the things you say. It's an incredible opportunity, but I mean it's it's Yeah, beautiful. That's wonderful. Thank you. Well, the two of you have been incredibly generous with your time. I want to make sure that our listeners know where to go to learn more about the, the Berry Center and uh, if they feel so inclined to become a supporter. Uh, my wife and I make all of our decisions together about where we, we donate, um, and uh, we're modest monthly contributors to the Berry Center, and uh, that was a no-brainer for us because... Um, because of the work of your your dad, it's transformed our lives and uh, how we live in our particular place, and and the ongoing work of the of the Berry Center is really incredible. So, Mary, how can people find out more about the Berry Center and give if they feel so inclined? If you well, I'm my father's own daughter when it comes to these kinds of things, okay. but I believe you can go to our website. Okay, yeah, and you can find ways to uh, become a member. Mm -hmm. um, a way to become a member, and we're very grateful for that. You know, my uh, we use always the uh, or to start this membership program. We thought of 
uh, character of my father called Burley Coulter. Mm -hmm. Yes, it yeah. is. Mm -hmm. And I she know, said, I, I know, I've, I can't remember any proper noun today, but anyway, um, he said, we're all members one to the, one to another. The difference is that some of us know it and some of us don't. Mm -hmm. And so we are so grateful for the support we've had from people who, who are members of this, of my father's Port William membership. Um, so there are ways to find out how to become a member of uh, and to help our work online. And um, there are ways to contact us that are, we have a phone number and we have email. And um, so thank you yeah. for asking. And there's a, and I just have to commend this space, which is incredibly beautiful. The bookstore is beautiful. I'm going to oh, be after this interview. Online. Okay, from, from the, the bookstore. It supports if you want to buy my father's books and you would like to buy them from something other than Amazon, unless you have a good local bookstore where mm -hmm. you should go. Mm -hmm. But uh, if you want to order online, uh, Virginia gets things signed by Daddy, mm -hmm. and um, um, so yes, that's great. The bookstore. Yeah, thank you so much for this great morning. This is a, really a treat for me and I'm grateful for your generosity. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for your Thanks. And for coming. Yeah. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Membership. You can find our show notes for this episode as well as an updated reading list for future episodes on our website at membershippod.com. We're also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram all at Membership Pod. I'd like to give a special thank you to the folks at the Berry Center who took time to meet with me, show me around, and help set up the interview in the first place. These include, of course, Mary Berry, the director of the Berry Center, and Dr. Leah Bayens of the Berry Farming Program, but also Virginia Aguilar, the director of the Agrarian Cultural Center and Bookstore, and Ben Aguilar, the director of operations. You can learn more about the important work of the Berry Center on their website at berrycenter.org. The membership is a proud member of the Rabbit Room Podcast Network. To discover more great podcasts and to learn about sponsorship opportunities, go to rabbitroom.org podcasts. We'd like to ask a favor. If you're enjoying this podcast, would you head on over to iTunes and leave a review or rating? We already have 42 five-star ratings, which is heartening for such a young podcast. Thank you for your support and for being our conversation partner around these important themes. Finally, I'd like to thank my wife, Kate Pattison, for her help editing this episode. Mm -hmm.